Welcome to the podcast, Fibromyalgia Real Solutions with Amanda Love. My name is Amanda Elise Love, and I'm a registered hosting nutritionist. And today's guest is Bran. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I would like to know, what is your story? My story. Okay. So, um, I'll give you the short version. <laughs> I, I spent many years in different kinds of education. I ended up becoming an adult educator and I did that with the school board for about 16 years. And while I was doing that, um, I was under lots of stress and what resulted actually was that I ended up losing vision in my eye and I ended up in bed for four months. And after that, um, and I recovered majority of my vision, I went back to work, but I went down to part-time work and I sort of started to think about what my life was going to be like and, and how I wanted that to look moving forward in the future. And, um, at the same time I started, um, playing roller derby actually. And I was the head trainer for my roller derby team. And I kind of thought, well, I should get a little bit more knowledge. So I became a certified personal trainer and that's sort of how that piece came up. So I slowly started moving away from my teaching position at, at the school board and more leaning into fitness and wellness. And um, I realized that, you know, my vision loss was caused from ext extreme stress. And I realized as I started digging a little bit deeper into what was going on with myself, my mindset, my, my trauma that I had, you know, different um, lifestyle options, things like that, that I really do have control over things. And then I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia in my late 30s. And so that's over a decade ago. And um, in 2019, actually, I decided that to leave teaching completely and focus on my wellness um, path. So I, I do uh, pain management coaching for people. So that includes a mindset component, a movement and some nutrition. Um, but it really was when I did my own um, inner work about three years ago that I really took charge of the pain that I was living with with fibromyalgia. So, I mean, anybody who's listening and yourself, Amanda, you know, sometimes you're when people ask how much pain you're in, you're like, I'm at like 15 out of 10. Like, like there's not, you can't, there, I'm, like, I'm so off the charts and you just kind of learn to live with it, right? So at, at the height of my pain, before I even knew I had fibromyalgia, I think I probably was going through my day-to-day -day life at probably a nine out of 10 in pain. And I just managed that. And then eventually I went on some meds. The doctors realized I had fibro and some arthritis. And so then I started to decrease my pain and I was at about a six. So I kind of lived my life at six out of 10. And I thought that was really good because I went from 15 to six. Like that's fantastic, right? But now after doing all the work that I did in my life um, to heal myself, um, now the thought of living at a six is, is completely unmanageable. And I can't even believe I did it for so long because I'm like on a general everyday basis, I'm about a one out of 10, like sometimes zero because I'm managing it through other means, not just meds. And, and I, and as we talked privately before, like I'm completely med free. Um, I don't take anything for my fiber or my arthritis. 
Um, if I have a flare-up, then I can take something, but I don't depend on it, and it's just over-the-counter stuff. It's nothing that's prescribed. So, you know, that's kind of the journey that I'm in, and now I'm realizing, and I'm, and I'm passionate about helping people live without pain, because pain and living in pain, not the pain itself, but living in pain is a choice, because pain is such a it's such a deep topic and there's so many aspects of it. It's not just the physical component and that, that manifestation. There are so many other pieces to it. So I guess that's my story in a nutshell. So tell me, <clears throat> what are like the deep aspects of pain and stuff? So in my experience, I mean, there are so many things that cause pain, but one of the biggest things is our emotions and our body has to deal with our emotions. And, and I don't know how you grew up, how people were raised. Some, in some instances, you're told not to show your emotions. You're told to suppress those emotions. Well, like think about it from a real, like, tangible point of view if i have an emotion and i'm not expressing that emotion whatever that emotion happens to be positive negative whatever but if i don't allow my body to express it then i have to cause my i have to force my body to store it and eventually it can't store anymore and then it just kind of blows up so i think of an example of let's say maybe you're having a conversation with somebody and you're having a disagreement with them and it's over nothing like it's not a big deal it's something small and the reaction that you have is so monumental in comparison to what the situation actually is that you think, oh my goodness, like, why did that happen? Well, that's repressed emotion that's coming out. Your body's like, we can't hold it anymore. And what happens with the emotions and the pain in the body is that the emotions manifest as physical pain in the body. So if you think about, let's say you're stressed. And what happens to your body when you're stressed? Like your body responds to that feeling. Your heart rate will increase. You might get warm. Uh, your, your, you might start to sweat. Your body is responding to that emotion. You might get tense, like your jaw might tense, or maybe your shoulders, or there's a part of your body. I don't, I know for me, it's my, my right low back. If I feel stress, immediately my right low back starts to hurt. Not because I did anything to it, but that's the place that stress manifests in my body. And um, so your body has to respond to that, it, those emotions, right? That stressful emotion. And it creates pain because your body is designed to protect you. It's that fight, flight response that we have. Like we, That's part of who we are. That's how we're made. And so when I have a stressful situation, my body, my mind, my muscles, everything has to decide... Am I going to fight against this situation or am I going to run away from it, right? And whatever that decision that's made, then my body has to respond in a particular way based on that decision. And so definitely emotions cause pain. If you have trauma in your life that you haven't dealt with, that causes pain. Lack of forgiveness causes pain. Uh, food, you're a nutritionist, you know there are foods that cause inflammation, which causes, like, scientifically, the blood vessels um, expand, and then that causes pain in the body. Uh, and our emotions, our, sorry, our experiences, right? Like, the experiences that we have with something and the thoughts and emotions we attach to that situation or that memory also can result in pain. So there are so many components to pain, 
um, beyond just, you know, banging my hand and then feeling the pain in my body. And I think that when we're dealing with pain and fibromyalgia or other, you know, chronic conditions, we should be looking at all areas and all things that could be responsible for the pain and not just the one um, cause or, or that specific thing that the medical community is identifying because their perspectives are different, I think, maybe than how you and I might look at fibro and dealing with pain. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And when you talked about at the beginning, you were talking about like how I, like how I dealt with pain and stuff and like in my experiences and stuff, um, something you mentioned stuck out to me was that the suppressing the motions. Because mm -hmm. I grew up where I was suppressing my emotions and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the, when I look back now, um, because I was actually, um, my dad remarried and all of this. So we would go over to his house and my sister didn't want me to say anything. And so if I, if I spoke up, then I would get in trouble and my sister didn't want me to get in trouble. So a lot of times I was suppressing my emotions and then that's was manifesting in my body. And that's why I was constantly sick and stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you like, it's, it's interesting because when you look at things from a holistic point of view, and I was in the same position as you, like my household, it was suppress emotions. Don't really show emotions. It's weak and vulnerable and people will judge you and all these things. Right. Um, but, when you look at how how the world now is looking at, at, at pain and the body and emotions more holistically, like our, our heart is in our chest, right? So if you think yeah. about it, like, and that, if you look at the chakras, that's the heart chakra. But even if you don't look at the chakra part, our chest is where, that's part of where we breathe. Our lungs are there, our heart's there. There's a lot of blood flow. Well, think about when you feel stressed or you feel anxious about something, what happens? Your chest gets tight. Like you you have trouble breathing. You might start to do mouth breathing as opposed to nasal breathing. Like all these things are automatic responses that your brain and central nervous system, like their the spinal cord is communicating all these messages through the nerves and making your body respond. I'm not consciously going, I feel stressed right now. So let's make my chest tight and let's change how I breathe and let's sweat a little bit. Like that's not what happens. It's an automatic response. And the body automatically does that because of past experiences, being told to suppress emotions or wh whatever the case may be. And we sort of internalize that and it becomes automatic for us. And then again, the body has to do something with all of that energy and all of those feelings. And it manifests in pain. A lot of times it manifests in pain. Yeah. You, and I think a lot of times our body, we can, it for different people, the pain might be somewhere else in the body than somebody else's pain. But I remember when I had, like, when it was the most painful, I was at my worst with the fibromyalgia. Um, I would, anytime anybody would touch my neck, 
my shoulders, I was super tense. Like I was so tight and it was, and I would not want anyone to touch my neck. It would be so painful. Like I couldn't even, I wouldn't even want people to give me hugs for at least a couple of years just because I was so tight and in pain. Yep. Yep. And I think that's a lot of times I think it's all, it's just stress manifesting. And then we're, and we're like, well, what do I do? Like, we're, we feel so bad. We're like, okay, what's next? Yeah. 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 And it just manifests all throughout our body. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because, and interest, not funny, but interesting how, you know, when I talk to people and I'm sure you experience the same thing, you talk to people, what's going on in your body, or you talk to people in the medical community, let's say, and they're like, yeah, I don't know why you have that. <laughs> and you're like, okay, but could you give me a little bit of guidance here? Cause that was my experience that there were some people in the medical community were so super informed and so helpful and very open to different options. And then there were others that were like, I would, I just don't really know. Like I remember being told you have fibro, that's it. Just deal with it. And I'm thinking, what? Are you kidding me right now? Like, I don't think so. Like that, like I just kind of looked and went, yeah, okay. Thank you for, thank you for your time. Have an awesome day. And then I, <laughs> I went and I was like, screw that. Like pardon my language, but I was like, no way I'm not dealing with that because it's just, there has to be, there has to be an answer. Like, and then when I dealt with, you know, my vision loss, yeah. Those four months in bed. And I'm not even kidding, Amanda. I was in bed for four months. I had a migraine for four months. And, the, wow. and I, it's not an exaggeration. They thought I had a brain tumor. They thought it was, you know, MS. They had no idea what was going on. Cancer, like all these different things. And what happened was when I finally got to an ophthalmologist um, to look at my eye, he said I had central serious retinopathy, which is basically the fluid in the back of the eye kind of leaks through and pushes on the retina, which causes blurred vision. And he said it's very common in people who have high stress. So, and I was at the height of my stress then. And uh, he said, but normally the brain just corrects itself and you don't really even know that it's happened. He said, but for you, your brain's decided that you're not doing that anymore and you've had more than enough stress and it's not dealing with it and it's gonna make you deal with it. And so I literally remember lying in bed and like said, my husband would set an alarm and the alarm would go off and I would go downstairs and I would like go down the stairs on my bum, okay? Take my meds, eat some applesauce and then crawl back upstairs to bed. And I did that for four months. Like, and wow, I went to emergency so many times because the pain was unbearable. Like the migraine and the vision loss, like it was unbelievable. And they knew me by my first name. They would actually, you know, when you go and they give you meds, they usually put it in an IV drip so that it's diluted and that it slowly goes into your body. Well, I, when I was at the height of what was going on with that, they were actually putting the medication directly into my vein in my hand, not wow. through the IV drip. And it would give me relief for maybe half an hour. But, and then by the time I got home from the hospital, it, the migraine was back and I was in pain. And, but it was all because of stress. So I'm such a, like, I talk about fibro and I talk about pain management. But one of the things that I really focus on is reducing stress because stress is like the number one problem I think that most people deal with. And if they were able to reduce their stress, that's only one component, right? 
But if they were to reduce their stress, many of the other issues they might have, like pain management or sleep problems or digestive issues, those things, some of them, they won't necessarily eliminate themselves, but they will start to sort of settle down a little bit because stress is causing so many other things in their body. And stress is something we all deal with mm -hmm. and that we all need to like find coping strategies to like deal with that mm -hmm. instead of pushing stress away and just saying oh well i'm stressed out i'm going to just continue to live in this stressed out state <laughs> but people do it right yeah i th i think we're kind of I don't know. I think we're kind of programmed that, you know, if you can handle stress, you're like this successful person or you're going to get more things or in order to have more things or be more successful, you have to have the stress. Well, that yes, that's true. But I mean, stress, I don't know. I feel like it's sort of like a badge of honor sometimes in that you're like, I'm so stressed out. And then people look at you and go, oh, but Amanda, you're you're functioning so well. And you're like... Thanks. And like, it's kind of like you, you know what I mean? Do you understand what I'm yeah. saying? I feel like that's sort of the messaging that we kind of get and it's changing, but I still feel like sometimes it's like that. Like I'm an entrepreneur. So people are like, Oh, you must be stressed. Yeah, I am stressed, but like, I'm, I don't work on the weekend. Like I don't work on the weekend. Like it doesn't happen. It's very rare. You know why? Cause I'm an entrepreneur. If I wanted to work on the weekend, I'd still be a teacher. Like I've changed my life because I want to have control over that. And if that, to me, having gone through what I did, if that means then, well, maybe I'm not going to be, you know, making six figures or having a staff of a hundred people. Well, if that means I'm going to exchange that for not having as much stress in my life and in my body, I'm good. Like I'm okay with that. So I think, you know, when you're in the height of that pain cycle and you don't know when it's going to end and then you have something happen like I did, it does definitely change your perspective on what you want your life to look like moving forward. Yeah, I think what you say about like, I think a lot of times when I have guests on, a lot of times it's they want they changed their lifestyle and it's because of a health condition mm -hmm. and they don't want people to go through to continue dealing with that health condition. And I think a lot of times with like when we're dealing with our health, then once we start to feel better, we're like, okay, well, I want to live my life in a different way. I don't want to, our relationships might take my more priority. I mean, the money aspect is something we all need to make money, but like, it's not as much of a, like, like if, if it's going to stress us out, then you know what I mean? It's not like the biggest thing to people who are pretty stressed out. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I everybody's different and everybody wants certain things in their life and they're willing to sacrifice one thing for another. And this is yeah. 
had mentioned earlier about just like how do people manage with stress. Like one of the things I, I, I always say, like <laughs> I say this to my clients and I, and I hope it resonates with your audience. If your life, the way it is today, were exactly the same way it is now moving forward, would you be happy with that? So right as it is today, this, everything that you have in your life, if everything stays the same, are you happy with that? And if the answer is yes, fantastic. But if the answer is no, then you need to start looking at, well, what aspects of your life would you really want to change? And, you know, stress is, I, I, I can't, I, I can't say it enough. I think this episode is literally just going to be about stress, Amanda, because it's just the thing that everybody has, like you said, and, but you have to have strategies to deal with it. So like, look at what are your stressors? What are the triggers? And it's the same thing with, you know, I'm sure when you were got, had your fiber diagnosis, what are your triggers? What causes flare-ups? You need to know what your triggers are, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that you're trying to track, what's your trigger? And then how can you eliminate that trigger or at least minimize that trigger? And the thing is, is that we choose that in our life. Like I, I agree. We all need money. We need to pay for things, but I don't have to work for somebody who's, you know, making me work every single weekend and every single night. Like, I don't have to do that. There are many, many choices out there as far as work, right? And, and we can make those choices. We can make different choices. They might be only short-term choices to get to another place um, um, and, and happiness with work, but there are many options out there. And we need to know what is the trigger so that we can then eliminate it and then reduce whatever that's manifesting as, whether it's pain or stress or, or digestive issues or whatever it is. So knowing your trigger is a great starting point for people who are trying to figure out, you know, areas of their life that they want to change or modify. I like, I like how you say know your triggers because when I think a lot of times we don't think about what our triggers are when we're stressed out. Mm -hmm. And I think for me personally, if I'm stressed out, it's because I'm not, I'm doing too much or I'm, I'm not getting enough sleep. So then that's, then I get in the cycle of, okay, I'm not getting enough sleep. And then, like everything seems to be like too much, right? Mm -hmm. And stuff. So for me, it's more of like, okay, am I taking care of myself so I could, because stress is going to come up in life. We can't control, like, in, like, we can't control everything that comes into our life. But what can we do? health-wise to take care of ourselves so when those stresses come up we're we're gonna be okay yeah well and i think the thing you know and you said it like we can't control everything and and i think that that is a very important statement amanda but i don't think that people truly internalize that so when i talk to people about stress okay i always think about there's two kinds of stress there are there are lots of different books and things you can read but I like to make things very simple and I divide it into two categories there's external stressors and there's internal stressors 
And the external stressors are things I really don't have any control over, so I can't change them. So for example, you saying, we're going to have this podcast interview today. So I really don't have a whole lot of control over that, really, because it's your podcast and you've given me the options. So that's the control I have is I can choose from the options that you've given me to when we're going to record this podcast and when we're going to do it. But it's really external scheduling, other people's reactions, my work. I don't have control over my manager or my supervisor. Like they make the decisions. I'm the employee. Like, I don't have to like it, but I don't have any control over it. So it very much is an external thing. Or traffic. Traffic is a perfect example. Or the bus being late. I have literally zero control over traffic. Like, none. So getting stressed about it or getting worried or anxious about it is such an an ineffective use of my energy, my time, my emotions, because I literally cannot change the traffic. But people get upset about it. And they think for some reason that they have control over it and they don't, it really is external. And then there's the internal things, internal stressors that I have more control over. So my emotions, my actions, my reactions, my choices that I make. If I know that eating something is going to cause my fibro to flare, then I'm in control of choosing to eat that. Like nobody makes me eat something that's going to flare up my fiber. I choose that. Right. Yeah. So there are so I like to really look at stress and and even choices in general and things we can control. Is it an external thing or is it an internal thing? And internal are things really that are related to me and how I behave and how I act and how I react and my choices, but everything else, there's so many things that are external, but I really don't believe that people truly think that there are things that are beyond their control. I sometimes feel like people say that Like, I have no control over that. But I don't think that they really believe that they don't have control because I think deep down they think they do. And that they can affect an outcome that really has nothing to do with them or is reliant on somebody else's participation in a communication or a situation. I can't control what other people do and think and say. I can only do have control over myself. But I think sometimes people get so... Um, attached to let's say an outcome or an interaction with somebody that they feel that anxiety and stress and they worry about it and then that then relates into pain or poor sleep or digestion issues and really they don't control that because it's an external factor it's not internal and I think dividing those things so when you're thinking about again another strategy on how to deal with things in your life like look at it from that point of view is it external or is it internal? And if it if it's external, there's nothing more for you to do. <laughs> like you've done your piece, right? You've done your part of whatever that contribution is. And then it's reliant on somebody else, right? And if it's internal, well, then you make the decisions about how you're going to behave or act or, or make choices. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And a lot of times I think like we... You, we don't have control of like what's going to happen in our lives. <laughs> no, we don't. And I think a lot of times, like for me personally, I'm like, well, I have a friend and he's talking about like what the government's doing. And I'm like, I don't have control of the, over that. <laughs> like, that's not my, I can't control what the government's going to do. So like, I can't worry about that. I can only worry about the stuff that I can control. 
Right. Right? Like, we're, we're I, you know, we're, it's a perfect example, Amanda. Like, it really is about what's, like, we've been in this pandemic and things are closed and all these things are happening and the government's making decisions. I literally have no control. Like, I can be as angry as I want about it, but I, my level of anger or feelings of unjustness or unfairness or anything, whatever it is, right? Whatever that feeling is surrounding all the things that have been happening over the past, you know, year and a half or however long it's feels like a hundred years, but um, yeah, it does. So whatever's been happening through this whole pandemic, when it started, like I literally have no control over what the government and the health health, you know, minister of health and all like I have no control over what decisions they make. I literally can only control what I do. So getting angry or upset or feeling that it's unfair or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. You need you need a vaccination? You don't need a vaccination. You need a passport? You don't need it. Like, it doesn't really matter what I personally think about it because I really have no impact on the result of that. But people get so connected to, like I said, the result and how they can how they can influence the outcome. Well, you can't influence the outcome. Like it snowed yeah. today. It snowed in Ontario. Fantastic. Do I want snow? No, I hate snow. Guess what? It's November in Ontario. I have zero control over the amount of snow that comes down today. Like, yeah. but so getting upset about it is useless. And, but people, I don't know. I, I think it, it makes people feel like they have some kind of, um, idea, like, I don't know, calming effect control some sort of prediction of what's going to happen in their life and that could be a reflection too though of the other aspects in their life or areas of their life that are just not going the way that they want it to so instead of you know focusing on you know let's say i have digestive issues or i have lots of pain and how i can minimize that which is sometimes challenging because i have to make changes that i don't want to make I can then just instead get angry at the government or my my boss for making a ridiculous decision that they're going to they want me to do something at work. Like I'll get mad at that, but in in fact, I really am deflecting and should be really focusing on okay, well what's actually causing me not to sleep well. But then I would have to make changes in my life, which uh, you know, some people, you know, lots of people don't like change, right? They really protest against change because it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I totally agree that like, we can't, it's in life where we can't control what the government's going to do and stuff like that. And so we might get focused on like protesting or getting the vaccine, not getting the vaccine. And it's like, okay, but what are we doing to take care of our stress? that we've been dealing with for the last year and a half. Yeah, exactly. But instead of looking at that, because I'm sure that through all of this and and life in general, not even about the pandemic, but just life in general, like relationships are hard. Work is challenging. Raising children is difficult. Like, like they're getting older. Like there are so many things in our life that are hard to manage. And there are challenges that come with those different areas and different stages of our life that instead of trying to deal with those because it's, it might be uncomfortable or we might have to, you know, we, we were talking, you know, what's life like in my 20s compared to how my life is in my 30s. And then it was very different in my 40s. Right. But, you know, 
instead of looking at what I need to focus on for that period or stage of my life, which will require me to change things or make some modifications or do things differently, um, I'm just going to focus on something else like, yes, the government or my boss instead of really attending to what I need to because it's, it's hard and it's uncomfortable to make changes. And it's from a psychological point of view too, I think it, it changes your perception maybe of yourself, right? Like, I don't know if you went through this when you got diagnosed, like who you are and, and what you envisioned your future to be like, or your life to be like now is completely changed because you got this diagnosis and now you're going to have to learn to do things differently and live differently and, and have to really think about your future and what that looks like. Whereas before you were like, oh, I'm good. I can just continue on my day to day and, and everything will be fine. But no, you get this diagnosis and you're like, oh, okay, now I have to reevaluate how I'm going to do things. That's hard for the ego. Like that's hard for the self to really look and say, oh, things are not how I had hoped. <laughs> and, and I have to basically reevaluate everything. Yeah, I think you said reevaluating and my life was sort of interesting in the fact that I um I was born six weeks early and I started off my life when I was I was always sick like every two weeks I was constantly sick 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 and they just kept saying oh go to the doctor get antibiotics so I never had this picture of what my life should be. Mm. I don't think as much as like, but I saw what my sister was doing and I'm like thinking, well, why can't my life be similar to her? Cause she was never sick and stuff like that. Or she would be sick a couple times a year and she was only two years younger. Mm. So, I mean, but like, looking back now, I'm like, well, I'm grateful I went through all I've gone through. And now in my 30s, I'm like, okay, yeah, I might not be exactly where I want to be. But I feel like that's gonna still happen and stuff. And I think a lot of times, when we go through a health crisis, <laughs> then we learn like what is important in our lives. A hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent. And I think, you know, maybe that's one of the things that, I mean, I don't, I don't want this to truly happen, but that people need to experience like a serious health issue. Right. I don't, I don't wish that on anybody, but you're right in the sense that when that happens, you really look and think about what's important. And, and I, again, I say this to people, I say it to clients, I say it to myself, nobody cares about all your to-do lists and all the things that you accomplish. They care about you. They want you to be there as like your kids want you to be there as they grow, as they grow up. They want you to be able to play with them. They want you to be there if and when they have grandchildren. Like your spouse wants you to be with them. Your family and friends want to be able to see you and be be with you and spend time with you. Like quality time, not time where you're sick or you're in pain or you can't participate in, in your lives fully. Like 
so they're not gonna no one's gonna nobody on their deathbed regrets i didn't work enough or i didn't make enough money or like they don't they regret the time that they that they spent doing all the stupid things that they shouldn't have been doing and and forgetting about all the important things which are the the people around you and spending time with them but i think you're right like unless you have some sort of crisis in your life you don't necessarily think about that because you're just like yeah i'm like you said, your sister was healthy and you saw that. You're like, oh, why can't I be like her? Um, is that how it's supposed to be? You know? And people that are in the situation of your sister, maybe, doesn't they don't necessarily think about that because they're healthy. They don't, it's not something that they have to concern themselves with because they've never had an issue, right? No. And I think that's the thing. My sister, like, I think I value relationships more. Mm -hmm. So I'm always like reaching out and doing this stuff. And I think that's because I've gone through my health issues. Like I value people more. And I think I, and people tell me, they'll tell me stuff like, they'll compliment me and stuff about like, oh, you're a sweetheart. It's because I, it's, I give, I tell people I give, I'll tell you, like, oh, you're doing a good job, or I'll compliment people and stuff. It's just my personality. And I think one thing you mentioned that was very interesting to me is that you were very clear on was, like, quality time. And I think when we are going through, like, our health issues and we can't, like we're in so much pain mm -hmm. and stuff that we don't, we can't enjoy the quality time. So once we start to feel better and like get to the other side, we never forget that time where we can enjoy our family, our friends and stuff. Like mm -hmm. I tell people all the time, I say, I tell people all this all the time. I'm like, well, if I had stayed the same way that I was like 10 years ago, 11 years ago, even a couple years ago and stuff, I mean, what would, like, what would my life be right now? Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am right now. And like, I tell people I have a two and a half year old niece. So I wouldn't have been able to enjoy her, play with her, and still, because like the neck, you, I wouldn't have been able to do that because I was in so much pain. And like, I was so exhausted all the time. And now I have a second niece coming next year. So it's, it's looking at your life and saying, okay, what is important? And it's those relationships and it's building people up. Because when we all leave and we all pass away, like people aren't going to remember what we did for them. It's like, did that person spend quality time with me? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think and it, it's interesting because I think if you ask people, you know, what is important in life, I think a lot of people and probably the majority of people would say, well, you know, my friends and family. And, and I and I and I believe that I think 99% of people would say that. But, and this is where the disconnect is, when you actually look at their life and what they're doing in their life, 
how much of their life is filled with friends and family and how much of it is filled with all the other stuff. So like, so a tip and, and something that I learned from one of my coaches that I want to pass on to, to you and to your audience members and listeners, you know, is that when you plan your, let's say your month or your week, you should be planning all the things that you're going to do with friends and family first and everything else gets filled in. So you don't plan work and appointments and all these things that you have to do. You plan your time with your friends, your family, your spouse, date nights, you know, going out with friends on the weekend, whatever it is that you're doing, all the fun stuff that you're doing with your friends and family tapes, takes absolute priority over everything else that you plan in the week. And that's how you should be planning your week. And most people plan it the opposite way. I like that idea. I'm going to have to take that idea and stuff because that's it. Because then it makes it like priority number one that you're, you, no matter what's going to happen, you're not going to cancel or you're going to do that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like you were talking earlier about, you know, taking care of yourself, like those things need to go in there. So if, if you go for a walk every day, it needs to be scheduled in. And it sounds so strict when I say it. And I know when I look at my own calendar, I'm like, oh my gosh, like things, everything's scheduled. But it is because if you don't schedule it in, you're not going to do it. And it's a non-negotiable, like spending times with your partner, spending time with your, you know, family and friends and, and, and putting in your exercise and, and doing your meal prep and all, those are all non-negotiables. They're not things that be, can be canceled. Those are not cancelable things. They should be non-negotiables 100% in your calendar. Everything else, those things can be canceled. But all of the good stuff and things that keep you happy and healthy and stress-free and build those relationships, those should absolutely not be things that you can cancel. But we look at it in a different point of view. We look at, oh, well, if I can't get together with my friends, I can just call and reschedule. No, that's not the, not, the, not the mindset that we should have. We should have the mindset of, oh, if I can't have my doctor's appointment this week, I'm going to make it for next week because I want to make sure I see my friend or we go and have coffee or whatever it is. I'm not going to reschedule that thing for a doctor's appointment or that thing for, you know, an extra committee at work or whatever, right? Like the giving back and the building relationships should be really important in our lives, I believe. And I think we do it backwards. A lot of people do it backwards. Yeah, and I think oh, I think we do do it backwards. But it's building, it's putting that time in. Like I'm in a new state, so I have to like be like, okay, I have to make sure to prioritize meeting people and like it's yeah. it's hard sometimes yeah. i don't want to do it yeah oh absolutely and i'm not saying don't like i'm not saying don't do that but there has to be a balance right and i think so i you know we there's that phrase the 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 work life balance i don't like that i say the life work balance yeah i think sometimes we don't we don't always have to be like do everything perfectly in some weeks we're not gonna have depending on like if you're a woman some weeks you might not have the energy to do as much some of these things compared to a other week and mm -hmm. stuff like that but it's making it a priority like for me a big priority is and i this is a non thing that i don't i don't not do this and that's i volunteer with the children's ministry 
and I do that every Sunday and then I go to the church service after mm -hmm. that and that's my Sunday morning and that's my non-negotiable like that's something I'm not <laughs> ever going to cancel and yeah. stuff and then if I want to do something go out to lunch with my friends or something afterwards or whatever now that's flexible but and then Tuesday nights it's always my small group and stuff my and Bible study type thing and that's like mandatory like I'm not gonna not do that unless I'm sick so I think it's all about like making sure we put these things into our planners that we are like well I'm not going to not do this because this brings me joy this makes me happy <laughs> this helps like this helps with my stress levels and stuff and I think a really good tip you said was the meal prepping mm -hmm. because I find like if you don't make time for the meal prepping then then that's not good because then you need because then you're gonna snack and you're gonna eat all the bad food and especially when you're stressed out absolutely and i and the thing is that some and i don't i don't have enough time in my day nor <laughs> desire to be perfectly honest i mean i like cooking it's fine but i don't love cooking um but I don't have enough time in my day to spend an hour, sometimes two hours, depending on the recipe, right? And what you're making, an hour a night even to cook. Like, that's a lot of time. Whereas yeah. if I meal prepped, right, then I can have a couple nights where I'm not cooking. I can just reheat stuff, right? And or or like even the even the cutting of vegetables and prepping all the food that you're gonna make, even that can be part of your meal prep. And then that, and then when you want to make whatever you're making, I don't know. A, I made pasta primavera last week, and when I say I, I mean my husband. I found the recipe and put everything on the grocery list. He made he made it. It was delicious. But <laughs> chopping everything up and putting getting everything ready takes time. Yeah. So if you spend your time, you know, Sunday afternoons for us are usually meal prep time, sometimes Saturdays, but usually Sunday afternoons. If you can just prep everything to be ready so that when you actually cook on Monday, you just throw everything in the pot or the pan. Like you don't right. have to chop it. So then it's, that takes, like cutting vegetables takes a long time, like a yeah. long time. So if you can chop all that, and again, like you said, snacking and stuff like that. And if you've got kids and stuff, they can just easily grab whatever they want because it's already, it's already cut. And then they don't go to you know, have the other things, the junk food or whatever that fills them up. They'll have some healthy, nutritious, filling foods that they can just quickly grab and they can go and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to even stop what you're doing to get them a snack because they can literally open this freezer or the fridge, sorry, or the cupboard and pull out what they want because it's already cut. They don't have to do anything. It's easy for them. So it's such an important um, piece and it really gives you back a lot of time in your week if you can if you can do a menu and then you can do your meal prep it you get so much extra time during your week and then you can enjoy dinner with your family or friends or whatever and not have to worry about all the meal prep yeah and I one thing you people should do is like 
even if it's like as soon as your groceries come and stuff or if if you order groceries or you or you go to the store and stuff it's just like cutting up the vegetables take 15 20 minutes right then and there and do it so then you don't put it off and absolutely stuff. yeah absolutely and i liked how you said creating a menu plan because once you have a menu plan for a like a couple weeks you just use that menu plan again for like if you have four for one month then you could use it again and over and over so you don't always have to be creating a new menu plan and stuff unless you love to try new recipes but but i think a lot of times we don't need to make it complicated and stuff and getting family members involved is always a good thing absolutely yeah absolutely and making a bunch if you're single is also great but um if you have family and stuff like that you can make more than a couple servings so then you have extras and then just repurposing it maybe you use it for like on a salad the next day and stuff like that or you so it's just being creative but don't like don't changing everything at once if you're starting from the very beginning absolutely that's a great you know and i say that to to my clients as well when you're making a change make one change and stick with it for about two weeks and then implement something else so if you're i love your tip about when the vet when the groceries come home you just chop all the vegetables and then put them away that's great that's the change that you make so you just stick with that for the next two weeks maybe the next month but every time you go and get groceries you just chop and prep all the veggies even the fruit too if you want i mean fruit sometimes because it kind of goes a little bit if you cut it but definitely vegetables can be cut and put in the fridge and just left there um already prepped so that's a great strategy one change stick with it for a few weeks and then you can implement something else because if you try and change too many things you can't do it it's too overwhelming and you can't sustain it yeah and i think a lot of times if we with vegetables we have the vegetables that's not the problem it's that we they get pushed to the back of the fridge and then they go bad and stuff if you cut them up and you put them in glass containers, well, you're going to see them and be like, oh, I need to use those up. I need to use up the bell peppers or I need to use up the tomatoes or the zucchini. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yep. Easily accessible. With, like, with your clients in stress, do you find, like, it's, food that they're dealing with or do you find it's relationships or is it a combination um it's a combination um i relationships cause a lot of stress um and i think part of that is because you know when you start I'll, I'll just use a, a couple as an example when you start a relationship with somebody 
And then as you go through the years together, you may have children, you might change jobs, your body, you like your body's changing, your life is changing, your mindset is changing and things are changing. And then you get to the point where you just, I feel, and I, and I'm speaking for the, the women that I deal with, um, they're just overwhelmed because a lot of the responsibility falls on them. They're working full time. They're doing things with the kids. Um, and in many cases, I know this is changing I, and I'm, I'm making a generalization here, but I'm speaking of clients I work with. In many cases, they have a very traditional relationship where they are very much responsible for taking care of the house and taking care of the kids and having a full time job. And then their spouse is in a very traditional role and they are not as involved with the children and they're not doing the laundry or cooking the meals. And so the women have a huge um, burden and a huge responsibility in the family dynamic and relationship. Yeah. And then they kind of get to the point where they're just kind of done. <laughs> like They're like, I've done it for so long. I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. And then that does cause relationship problems because their partner's like, well, I don't know what's happening. Like you've been doing this for 20 years. And they're like, yeah, I've been doing it for 20 years. Yes, exactly. You got it. That's exactly what's happening right now. But the they've changed the way that they want their life to be. Yeah. And again, their kids have grown up. The kids are moving out maybe, and but they're still yeah. in these traditional roles and they're still doing all the things they used to do, but it doesn't have to be that way because their kids have moved out. And and now they want a different, like they're now, they're now back to the pre-child stage, right? So now they want a different relationship with their partner, but that really hasn't changed. So I, I think, you know, we, we get comfortable in the roles that we're playing and we get comfortable in the relationships that we're in. And then when one person in the relationship starts to want something different or things to change or progress or whatever, and they want, they, the other person doesn't really know what to do because they're like, I don't know what the problem is. Um, and if the responsibility is not equal and equally yeah. shared, then one person feels like, okay, well I've been doing all this stuff and now I want to change. And the other one's just like, I don't know what's happening right now. So yes, relationships can cause problems. Food, food is a big one. Like, and, and when you're dealing with pain, there are so many foods that are inflammatory on the, on the gut. And then that just manifests in pain. And so that's a big thing. Um, and I think probably though, and then money, money is a stressor. Money is a huge stressor. Um, people have different perspectives and different mindsets and limiting beliefs on money. And if you have, say, a scarcity mindset, but your partner does not, then the way that you deal with money is contradictory to each other, right? So then that can cause difficulties as well. And some people too, like we had mentioned earlier, some people are, are raised to just suppress everything. You don't talk about stuff. You don't share emotions. You don't talk about how you feel or you don't, you don't have a lot of communication and that's just how people were raised. So then when you have a partner, let's say, or a child even that likes to communicate everything, but you were uh, raised to not communicate, it's, you don't know what to do because it's not what you're used to. So then that can cause stress. So there's a lot of factors um, that connect with stress. I mean, there's not just one thing. Um, and then, you know, emotions and dealing with those and phases of your life and going through your 20s, 30s, 40s and entering your 50s, that changes things. So there's a whole gambit of things that 
connect to stress. Unfortunately, it's not one quick, easy fix. I wish it were. Don't we all wish it was an easy fix? 100%. I'd be a multi-billionaire, Amanda. So <laughs> would you. We'd be selling the easy fix to all the people that we know, and that's it. They, everybody would be happy, and we wouldn't even need this podcast. No, we wouldn't need podcasts. <laughs> we wouldn't need anything. But there's always something that's going to pop up if we work on one thing, and we're like, oh, I got a good grasp on this, and something else is going to pop up. Yes. I always like to say, you know, you know, the movie Shrek. Yeah. Uh, when, when, when Shrek says, I'm like an onion, there's layers. There's always another layer. That's what, that's what it's like when you're dealing with anything that you're trying to manage or, or change you, you deal with it. And then there's another layer that comes after it and you think you got to handle it. And then you're like, Oh, that's the next layer. And that's okay. You just be open to it and uh, do the best that you can. And then, find people like you and me and other people around that we know that can help out as we go down that journey and down that path. I love that. All about the layers of an onion and stuff, because <laughs> you always think, Oh, I got a good grasp on, on whatever my health. And then you're like, Oh, but I need to still work on it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think, but then you have to think about, okay, where was I a month ago? a year ago, 10 years ago? Am I moving, at least moving forward somehow? <laughs> yes, and that's the key, right? Like, it doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be, and I think that's the other thing where, that, that to think about is that it doesn't have to be these monumental, gigantic things that you, stri strides that you make in your health. If you just stop, you know, eating chocolate bars one day out of seven, if that's what you were doing, that's awesome. Like, that's yeah. great. Like, I have a client that was, she, she used to drink Coke all the time, like cola. And she, uh, soda, is that what you call it down there? I don't know. Coca-Cola. And so she used to have two or three a day. And she's like, I'm never going to be able to give this. I said, no, I don't want you to give it up. I'm not telling you to give it up. What I'm telling you, I mean, yes, in the ideal world, please don't drink Coca-Cola. But, <laughs> but... In the, but all I want you to do is think about reducing it. That's all I want you to do. Just think about reducing the amount that you drink. And you know what? Now she might have one a week. Whereas wow. before she was having three or four a day. And, and in my mind, when she first started to, to reduce it, she's like, okay, I'm going to go for one a day. And I'm thinking one a day is awesome. Like, yes, I know you're a nutritionist and you're, I know you're freaking out right now, Amanda, going one cola a day is not awesome. But when you're drinking well, I, three or four, it is awesome, right? And so well, I think that's great because it's a little bit at a time. It's a little bit at a time. I would, that's what I tell people if they're getting off soda, like what it, let's start slowly. You don't want to like take it all out because then you're just going to end up like when you have a bad day or something, you're going to just go straight back to it. Yes. Yes. And that's the thing is that people, I think, you know, got to look at, it's just little bits and every, every little thing you do to move that, move yourself forward towards that goal, whatever that goal is for you is fantastic. Because like you said, where was I one week ago? Where was I four weeks ago. I have a client that has been with me and she only does training with me. We don't do coaching. We just do the, 
the movement piece. That's that's what she wanted. Everything else seems to be pretty good in her life. So we did the movement piece. She was with me for seven weeks. And she did not work out a lot. She works out twice a week with me. 30, ses 30, second, 30 minute sessions. And in seven and a half weeks, she's gone down 12 inches overall in her body. That's amazing. Just with, yeah, just with consistency. And she said to me, I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm not working out extra. She said to me, she was here yesterday. She said to me yesterday, she goes, believe me, I'm doing no extra workouts. I'm like, okay. She goes, I'm only doing it twice a week with you. She goes, I have a young daughter who's six. So sometimes on the weekend when she's running outside, I'll go run with her. That's it. She goes, other than that, I'm not adding any extra, but she's consistent with it. So the consistency is what gives you the results. It's not these big gigantic changes that you can't maintain. It's the consistency of these small little steps. And I think people, you know, media and social media and all that stuff, they give us this idea that it's these big, huge transformations. Yeah, but those took a lot of hard work in the background, right? And you're not going to look like that. Those images are unrealistic things to try and attain. What I believe is that you want to attain health and wellness for the rest of your life, not for next month when you go to that wedding and fit in that dress, <laughs> right? Like you want it forever, don't you? I mean, I do anyway. Yeah, I think it's a lot of like this mentality of, oh, I have to do all or, I, or I'm like, I have to change everything in my life from my relationships to my food to everything and I'm going to do it all at once. And that's why we have like people jump on the bandwagon and every new year's Eve to losing weight. And we're going to fix everything in our life. This is going to be the best year ever type of mentality. And then by February, everybody's like, well, I'm not going to the gym anymore. Yeah. It's the biggest money grab in the world. Anybody, like I'm telling you, if if I'm a personal trainer, let me tell you, if I had a magic pill that you could lose the weight, and, and I, I don't necessarily think that's necessarily your ultimate goal, but that's just my own opinion. But, you know, if you could lose the weight in three weeks, I would sell you that pill. But it doesn't exist. It's <laughs> not real. You have to do the work. That's the thing. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's your nutrition, your mindset, your movement, you know, your stress levels, your sleep, whatever. You have to do the work. And if you don't do the work, you cannot get the results. So anybody who is going to tell you that you can get, you know, a size six body in three weeks by following this program. Yeah, you, okay. I'm not saying it's totally impossible, but you are going to be one miserable person who only works out all the time and never gets to eat. Like, it's just not going to happen. It's just not realistic and it's not, it's not healthy. And it's just not something that people should be striving for. I think they should be striving for living a pain-free life that is healthy and full of wellness and full of love and laughter and 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 just live it right don't worry about being that perfect image of something you are perfect the way you are i love that like, you're perfect the way you are and i think we need that. like you said with your example of that client that she was being consistent and 
sometimes we need to spend some money and get that accountability so we can be consistent in life. Absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, people sometimes fall short is that they think, okay, well, I need help with my food. So I'm going to, you know, come to you, Amanda, and you're going to help me. You're a nutritionist. You're going to help me with everything, but I have to pay you for that service. Oh man, that's expensive. Yes, I know. But yes, but you, it's your, that you're the expert. You're guiding me. Just like if I'm coaching somebody or if I'm doing that physical component with them, I'm the expert. I'm guiding you. Don't you think that you're worth that investment? Like, that's what I think. I mean, and it's about not the investment in the moment, but the investment in your life. Like, I have coaches. I have people I'm accountable to because they keep me accountable. Like, Because that's what we need as humans. We need accountability. And because you're not accountable to yourself, because I don't know about you, Amanda, but I know I give myself all the excuses to not do something. I give, I pardon myself all the time. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty like driven and stuff, but I mean, look, as we're talking about accountability, like, I'm like, I'm in a new state. I'm like, well, they do fitness classes at my gym. I mean, not at my gym, at my church. And I'm like, you know what? that's a good way to like meet some new people, challenge myself. And I don't have trouble like working out. That's not my problem, but just like switching it up and stuff. And I think sometimes we just need to switch up what we're doing in life. Absolutely. And that's, and that too, when you think about it, even from a physical point of view, but not just that, just from things in general, our body, our, our brain is conditioned. We teach it. The neurons fire, the pathways are created, and we do things the same way over and over again. And when we change things up, then our neural pathways have to fire and make new pathways because we're changing the way we're doing things. And that's good for us. That helps our brain be healthy, but it also helps our body and our mind and, and our soul be healthy because we're changing things up. And that's how you make changes. Like when you do something physical, I mean, I change programs for my clients like every five to six weeks because your muscles get used to it and your brain is a muscle your body is is made of muscles and you have to change it and change things and challenge it so that it can then relearn things and strengthen itself in all capacities yeah and i think and i like i think with uh the physical aspect it's like yeah i've I mean, I got certified in personal training and stuff, so I know how to do stuff with that. But I'm like, why can't I have like someone like have that team aspect, but also have someone pushing me because maybe I'm not pushing myself as hard as I could be pushing myself. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because, um, you know, you can do as much as you like, but it still is very different um, when you have somebody there with you, whether you're in a class or you have a trainer with you or you have a coach of some kind, they'll push you just that little bit extra because you are accountable to them. And you, and you know, we want the ego part of us. We want someone to go, wow, you did a really good job. That was awesome. Like that feels good for someone to say, right? Like you're like, wow, you lift up a five, five, five pound dumbbell. That's fantastic. You know, and then in a couple of weeks, you lift up a 10 pound dumbbell. You're like, oh, my God, 
gosh, that's amazing. Like you want, we want that. We like that feedback. It makes us feel good and it makes us feel like we're appreciated for the effort that we put in. Yeah. And I think there's a great book and it's called the five love language is, and there's, and words of affirmation is sometimes that's like, that one is mine. And I love when people say, oh, you did a real, like compliment me or say, oh, you did a really good job and stuff. And I do, that's what I do with other people. And I think a lot of times people like to hear, oh, you're doing a good job because we're such a negative world. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. If there's one last, one last tip you could give, what would it be to help people lower their stress? Oh my gosh. One last tip that I would give. Based on my experience and everything I went through, I would just say it's just not worth it. <laughs> it's just not worth being stressed over. It really isn't. And really think about what you're being stressed about. You know, like I mentioned earlier, what are your triggers for stress? I want to summarize. What are your triggers for stress so that you know what's happening? How can you eliminate those triggers? Is your stress internal or external? So can I control it or do I have no control over it? And then really decide, you know, is it really worth getting this stressed about? And ultimately, you probably will realize that it's just not. It's just not worth it. So... Your stress impacts so many things. Um, and if you're dealing with pain and any kind of chronic condition or you're having sleep issues, stress is gonna affect all of that. So minimize your stress. Find the triggers, get rid of them. And ask for help. That is perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs>